Welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast, where on each episode, we interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. And now, here's your host, CEO and co-founder of Scouts, Max Hansen. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to episode 60 of the Built on Purpose podcast brought to you by Scouts. I'm your host, Max Hansen, the CEO of Scouts, where we find purpose aligned and performance proven leaders. Today, we have two guests, Ari Sherman and Jordan Samuel. Ari and Jordan are partners in Hemp Health and Evo Hemp. Evo's product line consists of both hemp food products and CBD infused products and can now be found in over 3,000 retailer stores nationwide. Tell us about your company, Hemp Health and Evo, like what it is today, types of natural products and where we can find them. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Hemp Health is a company Jordan and I started out of college, uh, launched the first brand out of it called Evo Hemp, uh, which is a hemp foods company, uh, launched that in 2012 with a line of nutrition bars. Um, and then uh, in 2014, once we were able to start cultivating hemp here in the U.S., we, we created the first supply chain of hemp food ingredients. So started deshelling hemp hearts and milling protein powders and pressing hemp seed oils. Uh, and then in 2017, launched a line of CBD products in partnership with a Native American tribe out of the Pine Ridge Reservation. Awesome. Anything, Ari, you want to add? Um, yeah, and uh, additionally, you can, uh, you know, we've uh, grown to be in uh, most grocery stores across the country, been in Costco, Whole Foods, and stores alike. Uh, primarily now we, we're focusing our business online. So, you know, you can find us at evohemp.com, probably the easiest way to find us. You can also find us on Amazon as well. Awesome. And just so you guys know that I'm, I'm, this isn't a plug, but I did, I have tried uh, their uh, Hemp 90. Is it hemp 90 protein? Is that the, the, how it's listed on your site? Yep. It was incredible. I mean, uh, pound for pound, the taste, the, the amount of, uh, protein and, in, in such a small amount, it was super dense. Uh, absolutely love it. I left a review on the site, but again, I'm, I'm just saying that, uh, most of the time when I have talked to a guest, I try their products after I've tried their products before and, and, uh, highly recommend, um, Hey, so by the way, is, is hemp health. That was the first company you guys started. That, that the name kind of is pretty straightforward. Where did Evo Health, the name come from? Uh, well, uh, so Hemp Health is, is kind of the overarching uh, brand or the company name. And Evo Hemp is, is the brand name uh, underneath uh, Hemp Health, uh, which is the, the LLC that, that uh, Evo Hemp is held under. Got so it. Evo okay. Hemp really kind of comes from, uh, you know, we worked with a, a design and branding firm here in Boulder uh, many years ago when we were first kind of developing the brand. And Jordan and I were really big advocates of making sure that hemp was, was a part of the name. Um, the brand agency was trying to kind of push us away from it, you know, saying that, oh, you know, you might turn some people off or you're going to you're going to scare some folks with with, the, you know, hemp being right there in the front of the package. But that was kind of the whole intention for, you know, us from day one was trying to get this conversation and not be shy that we're using hemp as an ingredient. And instead, we really wanted to make sure that. It was it was very well known that, that hemp was kind of the hero ingredient in this product, and so they kind of uh, you know had a lot of different brand names, and and uh, Evos uh, kind of short for Evolution was was one that we kind of landed on just simply because you know hemp has uh, you know been a part of human evolution for a very long time, and you know because it's been demonized for over the last hundred years or so, we felt that it was kind of the next kind of evolutionary step in our diet, and just you know in, in general building materials and clothing and medicine and, and using this hemp 
playing again. So kind of join the evolution is, is the tagline there. Got it. Love it. So I'm going to, I'll throw this out there. We'll dive a little bit further in on how you guys got started. Cause I think it's a great story and how you've stuck with it and, and how your pioneers, uh, but how did you get into 3000 retailers? Like, what was that journey like? Uh, Cause I mean, when I, when I read your profile, the thing that sticks out at me most is like, holy shit, these guys are in 3000 retailers. That must've been a lot of work. And, uh, and so you, how did, how did, how did it all go down? How did you end up in 3000 retailers? Um, honestly for us, we didn't know anything about the food space when we started. Um, so very green in, in this industry and didn't know how much work it was really going to take, but uh, I really started with one of our mutual friends, Dan Morrison, who was a broker in the food space, working for presence, natural marketing, really teaching us about distributors, UNFI, KEHI, and then also brokers and kind of just taught us the game about how to go present your product to stores and really go and grow that business. And so um, with his help and advice, that really gave us the inspiration to go and, you know, hire our own sales team and then go to meetings ourselves and continue to grow the business. So, you know, Ari and I have gone to just about every meeting to get into the retailers that we've been in, work with the retailers ourselves very closely, but definitely need, uh, you know, a strong sales and brokerage team to, to support it. Got it. And take me back or take us back. Cause I know the story, but I think it's great. So how did you guys originally start? How did you just originally decide that you're going to start doing business together? Yeah. So uh, out of college, uh, you know, both of us had studied real estate in the past. And this was, you know, kind of right after that big uh, market crash in 08, 09. So really kind of looking for other kind of entrepreneurial, you know, routes to go with. And, um, you know, a, a friend of mine had a hemp clothing company uh, out of Europe. His name's Adam Dunn. Uh, the company's called Hemp Hoodlum. Um, been around for a while now, but Adam had, uh, you know, come moved back uh, to the U.S. from Amsterdam and bringing his company back here. And it really kind of just kind of, you know, set a light bulb moment in my head is we were in Colorado at the time. So, you know, medical uh, marijuana was, was, you know, well underway and, and recreational cannabis was, was about to become a real thing. Uh, but really no one in 2010, 2011 was, you know, looking at the industrial hemp plants, uh, at least here in the state. Um, and, and so that light bulb moment kind of clicked when I was like, yeah, this, this hemp thing is going to come along with medical and recreational cannabis. Obviously they're going to kind of follow suit. So there's a lot of opportunities in the industrial hemp space, whether you're talking about, you know, food, where you're talking about clothing, medicine, fiber, building materials, there's, there's so many applications that you can go with hemp. So obviously it was about to be a, a wide uh, industry that was about to get opened up that hadn't seen, you know, the light of day in, in over 80 years. So that was just really exciting to be able to see like, oh, cool, this is a new emerging market that, that has so many, so much potential. Um, so we landed on food, though, most actually because my mom uh, was a nurse and, and, and she's a nutritionist and very, you know, kind of forward thinking on plant based foods and plant based proteins and was really, you know, after hearing my excitement about the hemp plant was, you know, oh, you should do something with with hemp seeds, you know, it's a superfood great plant-based source of protein. I, I wasn't educated on it at all and, and kind of went home and, you know, showed Jordan a little uh, Google article I found about hemp, the most nutritionally complete food source in the world. It's like, huh, that's a bold statement to say that this seed is the most nutritionally complete food source. But after, you know, doing a lot of research, honestly, is blown away by the, it's the nutritional, com, uh, nutritional profile. It's a complete source of protein. So has all those amino acids in there also has a perfect balance of essential fatty acids. So omega-6 to omega-3 
it's very important what ratios those kind of lie in what food and, and, and some can actually be inflammatory versus some can be anti-inflammatory. So hemp seeds kind of fall in this perfect three to one ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 fatty acids, and, you know, along with an incredible list of minerals um, and, you know, fiber, obviously, that you get from the seed as well. So uh, really excited about just kind of trying to reintroduce hemp seeds as a food source here in the U.S. Love it. Love it. And we'll get more into that because I'm kind of passionate about uh, uh, just, you know, the vegan side of things. I, I early on, you know, I've, I've worked out a lot. I, I, my body consumes so much whey protein that it doesn't like whey protein at all. So I've been for years searching for uh, vegan sources of protein. And I think my body likes a little mix it up a little bit. So again, I'm not plugging your guys' product to me much, but it was amazing for me just based on my journey and, and what I was searching for, but kind of going back, cause I I'm curious and I, I kind of want to sh- the, the audience to understand this. How are your roles broken up between you two? Uh, like does, does, you know, what are you, what are your gifts? Like, how do you guys divide and conquer? I, I couldn't tell by, uh, seeing any of the videos or reading about you guys, or even when I first talked with you too, I left that conversation thinking like, how do these guys team up? How do they decide who does what? And, uh, you know, what, what are they subject matter experts in, uh, collectively? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's definitely a lot of overlap with each other as well. Um, so it would make sense that, you know, it's not quite like a defined line necessarily. However, I would say that, you know, my focus would be more on sales and operations while Ari focuses more on marketing and product development. Got it. And then I saw, you know, I saw one of the videos that you guys, this was probably a little while ago, pressing your own bars, you know, in the beginning, kind of humble beginnings. How many bars were you pressing a day? And then like, what does that production look like today versus back when you were doing it by hand yourselves? Um, yeah. So when we first started doing it by hand, um, at the peak of making it by hand, we were making up to 700 bars a day, which is just over 12 cases. So that's 48 boxes. That's not (laughs) much at all. Um, but we thought it was a ton of product and it would take us months to sell that. And that would take us, you know, two full days to manufacture that much product. So it was definitely a lot of overhead for us, uh, me and Ari hand making them with one other person. Um, but now, you know, we'll make as much as 10,000 bars in a day. It's amazing. It's amazing. Hey, after doing research on you guys, uh, I actually, and I think probably a lot of people would agree, uh, I'd consider you, you know, pioneers of hemp products, you know, just based on what you're talking about, time and place in Colorado, and based on what you guys have been able to accomplish. I mean, what does that feel like when somebody actually tells you that? And what are the responsibilities that come with that label? Uh, well, I mean, obviously like we're, you know, kind of humble about that. Cause you know, we don't really, it, it, I don't think people really see themselves as pioneers, like in the moment as you're doing things because you're always just leaning on, you know, the shoulders of, of other people that, that came before you. So we, you know, we were fortunate that, you know, we kind of were in this perfect timing where we're kind of in on honestly, what I would say a second wave of kind of hemp products in the U.S., you know, since its prohibition. Um, I would say in the early 90s, there was kind of a re, you know, insurgence of just like hemp products and general clothing and, and even food. There, there's a gentleman, Richard Rose, uh, the hemp nut, who in 1994, I want to say, uh, was the kind of bringing in hemp seeds from, from Asia because you couldn't even get them anywhere in North America. 
Africa and, you know, de-shelling de them and, and making, you know, cheeses and, and milks. And, and then there was, you know, a few years later, uh, some gentlemen up in Canada, Manitoba Harvest is, is a big company that, that came out of this operation, but they legalized uh, hemp farming in 1998 up in Canada and, and started, you know, processing hemp food and on a very large scale um, and, and infiltrating the grocery stores here in the U.S. And, and that's honestly, those are kind of the people that uh, gave us an opportunity to get into this space because my mom knew about hemp seeds as a food source because of these people early on getting food into, into these grocery stores and, and getting them into these magazines and other publications and people just kind of making the hemp nutrition, you know, more aware. So by the time we got in, you know, those guys kind of had, you know, their businesses kind of stalled out just because of the movement in general had just kind of stalled out. But because of this reemergence cannabis industry, we, we kind of hit the second wave of an opportunity to be able to get, okay, cool. Now, not only are people more aware, like my mother, you know, older generations are aware of the nutritional benefits, but now we can start convincing the politicians that, hey, like we need to change these outdated laws. And so we, we were just kind of, you know, at the right place at the right time kind of thing. Yeah. And I would say, you know, a big uh, luck to that as well is just like Ari was saying, timing and, uh, you know, the South and Kentucky needing to find a replacement for tobacco crops. Uh, so that was really big for us, especially with Mitch McConnell, kind of being forced to <laughs> make hemp legal because, you know, he got had to make his constituents happy and they needed another cash crop for the South and hemp is going to fill that void. That's awesome. So when I'm doing the math, so the, the hemp farming bill kind of opened it up, uh, opened it up, correct? You guys started in 2012. Was there like, was there red tape in getting hemp into the industry still, even though you're in Colorado? And like, what was the most frustrating part uh, you know, getting through the red tape. So, so luckily in 2008, um, Nutiva really fought to make hemp legalized in the United States. Uh, the DEA had tried to make it illegal prior to that, um, stopping importing just hemp in general. They said it looked too similar to that of uh, the cannabis seed. Um, so, you know, it's really funny because if you think about the poppy seed and the poppy plant, that's literally the flower that makes opium and heroin and everything else don't have any issues with that being too similar. So uh, just a funny comparison uh, to take a look at. But um, luckily for us, it was then legal to import hemp. However, you know, the marketing of hemp and CBD has just been something that's been very difficult year over year. Yeah, uh, to correct, just it was uh, 1998 that, uh, 1999 that that uh, kind of- Oh, sorry, yeah, my apologies. It lasted a few years. Honestly, it was illegal to sell hemp foods in the United States up until I believe 2004. It got uh -huh. a Supreme Court uh, ruling, they overturned that. So in 2004, we were able to, you know, federally, legally say, hey, we're, we're you know, on, on a federal lab, uh, level, able to start importing these seeds and, and processing them into food. But for, you know, for strange reasons, we still couldn't, grow them here in the United States. So that was kind of the big thing that the politicians early on um, that, you know, were big advocates of the hemp industry kind of pushed. We're saying, you know, they found they could go to Costco, their local Costco, and pick up a bag of hemp seeds that were grown in Canada, but it would be illegal if, if their constituents were to grow that same crop themselves and try to sell it to that same retailer. So it, it was very just backwards and, and not very American to just kind of, you know, offer up an industry to a, to a different nation and just go ahead and buy their product. So, you know, that, that was big, but even after it, it was still a struggle after laws were passed and we could 
say, hey, point to a federal bill. You know, for example, we had pallets of, of hemp bars just with hemp seeds in them. These don't contain any cannabinoids. They were going to do Costco on, on the West Coast to a store in Northern California. And they were seized by FedEx freight company in Utah. And I know Jordan can, had to deal with this very closely and trying to figure out how to get this shipment back and convince these, you know, people at FedEx that this is a legal product that they could have honestly gone and bought down the street at their local Whole Foods market. Yeah, ultimately, we ended up having to ship another shipment to Costco. And then two months later, we got it back to our warehouse. But it's the whole thing is it said hemp on it. And so in Utah, in Utah they're like, oh, no, I don't know if we yeah, can we don't ship know. this at all. This says hemp on it. I don't. This seems illegal to us. Like maybe their they're quote, they said maybe it's legal in California to do this and maybe it's legal in Colorado. But I don't know about Utah. You know, like I said, the local grocery stores right there in, in Salt Lake City would have sold that same bar. But Yeah, and, you know, even with customs, it's just crazy. Like if it says hemp, Sometimes if it, if you go through Chicago and it says THC on it and it has the readout, they're going to hold it for a month or two until they test it themselves. And then they'll release it once it comes up correct, just because you wrote THC on, on the paperwork. Right. Now in California, if it goes through customs and it doesn't say THC, they're going to hold it until they get paperwork that shows the THC content. They're not going to hold it for testing afterwards, but they won't release it until they see the THC content. So not only like it's just so mismanaged, the customs agents don't even know what to do. And so it's just this big gray area that needs a lot more regulation. And ultimately, especially through COVID, it's been delayed for an additional year. Uh, got it. I mean, so the, so the, the federal stuff is going to help you guys immensely as well, not just the cannabis side. So you guys are kind of having some issues just based on state to state regulations and how people handle things. That's interesting. Absolutely. What, what are you guys most passionate about with regard to your company, the industry right now? Um, you know, I, I'm honestly most passionate about just kind of continuing to evolve uh, the, the products in, in the space. Uh, you know, we're so early on and, you know, whether that's expanding to other cannabinoids, I'm really excited about, you know, uh, other cannabinoids that are being developed uh, with, with genetics breeders and increasing levels of, you know, CBG or CBN or CBC, finding these, finding out, you know, what are some of these uh, properties that these lesser known cannabinoids have to offer and, and, and what kind of, you know, products can we target with, with some of these benefits? Um, so I'm, I'm most excited about, you know, moving kind of beyond uh, the, the, the CBD space and, and even looking at, you know, some of the terpenes uh, that can be extracted from these plants and, and what kind of combinations of these terpenes and other various cannabinoids can be used to, to help treat all, all kinds of conditions that we're, we're currently not looking at. Yeah, I would just say, you know, on the industrial side and on the medicinal side, it's both, uh, you know, so much in its infancy, but also right at its inflection point of really exploding. And so to Ari's point, I'm really excited to just see how it's going to progress and where it's going to continue to grow uh, most effectively. But tons of cannabinoid opportunities and then just, you know, building opportunities from homes to cars, et cetera. So it's really an exciting time to be in the hemp space for sure. I love it. Hey, and tell me, so there's a lot of people that are listening to this. I haven't had anybody kind of from the hemp side. It's been a lot of cannabis guests and then one CBD guest that that's all they do is CBD. I shouldn't say that's all, but that's what they do is CBD. 
uh, how is hemp processed and consumed? Like just give kind of a lowdown on that. I've, I've watched and read enough about it, you know, from your guys' videos and beyond, but I think it'll be interesting for uh, listeners that don't understand how it's processed and consumed to, to understand it. Yeah, it's definitely. So I kind of break down uh, the plant in, into a few different parts and, you know, they're all, there's various, uh, you know, genetic differences between them. Um, so for example, you know, fiber is people are very familiar with the fiber use of, of the hemp plant, you know, been using it in clothing and, and, and things like sails and ships for thousands of years. Uh, still the biggest producer today is China. Actually, they still use it in, in uniforms and in, in like military type settings. Uh, so that's the stock of the plant. Um, and so they have like an internal fiber and the external fiber on the outside of it that both can be used for different things. You can break those down, use them for things like building insulation. Um, you can use them for things like plastics. You can make, you know, various types of resins and things out of those fibers. Um, and then the next one that, you know, we're uh, really familiar with is kind of the, the seed variety. So the seed variety of hemp, they kind of grow, um, you know, a, a little bit smaller than the, the fiber variety, but still pretty tall plants. They're kind of packed in like rows of corn. Um, they, they produce a really good, what they call in the, you know, agricultural industry an oil seed. So a really high concentration of oil in the seed, about 33, 35% of its weight is, is an oil, which I was discussing before those healthy omega fats in there. Um, another, you know, 33% of it is, is those amino acids, the protein. Uh, and then it has a great, you know, like I said, a ring of minerals and other things. Um, and then the, basically how we can process those seeds into the various components as well. So we take those seeds, we can either, you know, deshell them, which they have that hard exterior shell, uh, which we can crack and, and the heart or the nut of the seed is where the majority of that nutritional content is in. Uh, we, we can deshell that with a centrifugal dehuller, just kind of spins around, cracks that seed, and then kind of goes through these agitation tables with screens on them and kind of separates those shell fragments uh, from those nuts or those hearts. Um, um, and then from there, we compress those into an oil. Um, so you get all those good oils. You can use it for, for cooking oil or, you know, as a salad dressing oil, even topically, it works really well. And then from there, we have leftover as a seed cake, it's called. And that seed cake, you can mill down into a fine powder, and that's where you get your protein powder from. And there, there are a few different types of ways to extract protein from, from the seed. That's, that's not the only way, but that's the most common way to do it as well. And then you have kind of the uh, cannabinoid variety or your resin variety of hemp, which is a shorter. Um, they kind of, you know, look more like a Christmas tree farm because people are really trying to maximize the light exposure. So they're spread out a little bit a little bit shorter of plants. Um, and, and that's where you'll get the, you know, the CBD or the, the hemp extracts from. And so thinking about the process, I mean, was there already farming equipment that's set up to mass produce and process? I guess that, that process you just told me seems very tedious. Like I've seen it too. It looks pretty tedious. It, have they come out with equipment that, that can do that efficiently and effectively? Um, you know, uh, it, it's still pretty early. I would say it's still, you know, very labor intensive. That's why the cost of the hemp seed compared to maybe some other, uh, you know, seeds or grains can, can be a little bit higher because it does take more, more labor, um, and more processing to, to get that heart out of it. Um, yeah, like what we've seen is, you know, on the bigger scales, because it's not quite there commercially from like John Deere, let's say a lot of these bigger farmers that have been doing it for 20, 30 or 
three generations even, um, are just taking their traditional farming equipment and adjusting it to make it work for de-hulling hemp seeds and things like that. So they're taking things that are made for wheat originally and kind of converting it for hemp. Um, and it, like Ari said, it's more labor intensive because it's not perfect yet, but it compared to where it was, you know, even five years ago, it's far more developed. So it's definitely now getting a lot more um, developed over time just because the, there's the demand for it now. Got it. And, you know, there's a couple things in here like that I'll unpack because I might not say it perfectly because I took some shorthand notes as I was like reading through and looking at stuff. But uh, tell us how you've been able to educate the masses and heal people from the, the world from the inside out. I love that, like kind of that, uh, you know, kind of purpose statement or that statement. But kind of tell me, you know, what, what, where that comes from and like tell me how your progress on like kind of that statement. Yeah. So, uh, you know, since we started the, the brand and, and, you know, launched our products in 2012, we've been educators, um, you know, being in any kind of emerging category, there, there's always a massive amounts of education that needs to be done. Um, you know, even for myself, six months, uh, you know, before, you know, coming up with our first flavors of bars, I didn't even know what hemp seeds like really were. Like I knew obviously the hemp plant had a seed to them. I had no idea that there were any kind of benefits beyond it, you know, grew another hemp plant. Um, and, and so there was a tremendous amount of education that we had to do early on. And, you know, and it was very obvious to us that it, there was only about, I believe at the time, a 2% uh, household market penetration of, of hemp foods in the United States. So what that means is 98% of people in the United States have no idea that you could eat a hemp seed or there would be any benefit to, to doing that. So there, you know, from day one, ed education was a very big, big pillar in our business. Um, and, you know, what we've had to do, it, it started off is really just, we did a lot of product demos. Um, so selling a, you know, a nutrition bar, you really got to get it in people's hands. You got to get them to try it. That They're rarely going to move from their, their protein bars, their nutrition bars that they're used to having. Um, so you got to get them to try it. And so that means we were in the grocery stores every day, talking to hundreds and hundreds of people, trying to get them to sample the bars. In order to get them to do that, we had to educate them on the benefits of the seed. Because like, what, what's a hemp bar? So many people like, what? what was this rope like you know what am i eating paper like what is this going to be green you know so being in in our category at the time it, we, we had to be educators so we were able to scale that you know with with doing a lot of educational videos online um, we partnered up with a filmmaker friend of ours and, and launched a documentary film, which we launched on Amazon and iTunes, um, really just, you know, pushing the industry from all aspects, from the farming side of it, the regulatory side, showing, you know, working with, you know, politicians all the way up through finding processors to work with to actually process this stuff to the grocery stores and the consumers buying it. So really just trying to show the 360 approach to, to this new industry. Love yeah, it. I think like our, I think. At, you know, hit the nail on the head with, we're trying to prove that it's a real industry. And so in order to prove that out, you have to show all aspects from seed to finished product that, hey, this is not only doable, but these are the farmers, these are the people that you're helping um, along the way. And so, you know, that really gets people inspired. And it also helps build and develop that industry showing, you know, there's lots of people, tons of families uh, across the way that are actually benefiting from this process. How's that number? So it was 98% of most households that didn't, you know, didn't understand. Has that, do you know what that is today? Uh, it's closer to four. 
you know, okay. percent market penetration. So a little over 96% of people in the United States don't know about the benefits. That's crazy. There's so much further to go when you think about that from that perspective. That's wild. Yeah. And, and then another thing you started to touch on it, Jordan, uh, Evo's mission is focused on reviving rural communities of poverty through industrial farming. Uh, tell us about your partnership with Native American tribes and the work that you're doing to help other farmers. Uh, you mentioned uh, you know, some of this before, but I think this is fascinating. This is where I'm like, how the hell do these guys have all this time to build their own products and help everybody else you know, pretty much get their, their businesses off the ground or going in the right direction? So tell me about the initiatives and, and just tell me about your passion around uh, helping others uh, with their farming initiative. Yeah, you know, it, it goes back to, again, <laughs> just ha- working with this demonized plant, you know, uh, f- from, from day one, as soon as you tell people like, Oh, I have a hemp company and, and, you know, especially 10 years ago before CBD was on the, you know, the main stage, it was oh, hemp. Like you, you guys are from Boulder, Colorado. Like, you, you know, you must be talking about marijuana because I, I don't know what else you would be talking about. And so just there, there was just stigma is strong, strong stigma around everything that we did. And you could just kind of see it in people's eyes. Even once we got the product in the grocery store and it was like a real thing, you could still see it kind of this hesitation of like, I've been told my whole life that this is bad, that, that, that this is the devil's lettuce. This, this, is the bad thing like you're you're going i've had people straight up say like you're going to hell like spit out the product in front of our table as i say yeah we've had people spit out the food in front of us once they realize that it's hemp because they think they're being drugged or people that are like no that's horrible why are you selling that like we've been literally yelled at for trying to just give a sample of a bar at a grocery store and you wouldn't think that it would have such a connotation behind it, but it really does. And it shows, you know, the power of what the media has done over the last 50 years to, to make this such a demonized plant. So like what we had to do, you know, to try to combat that is, so, you know, not only are we talking about all the benefits that this plant has for them, you know, from a, a nutritional perspective, or even, you know, that's when it goes into, you know, the, the environmental benefits, like the beautiful thing about hemp is, it is, it is so good for so many things. It is very easy to try to tell someone who, who thinks that this is a very bad thing and, and give me 20 minutes and, and I'll tell you a thousand reasons why I think this is one of the best things on earth. Um, and it, it's because it has so many benefits, you know, not only from a, an environmental benefit farming it, uh, you know, it uses significantly less water than a majority of the crops out there, you know, a quarter of the water of like corn uses and you know uses a fraction of the, the pesticides or herbicides most people grow it organically because you know it, it is it's such a strong plant and it has uh you know it's it's a big it covers pretty much all the weeds that grow below it it kind of shades all of them so it's really hard for invasive weeds to grow it not a lot of bugs like it so it's not a heavy pesticide plant there's there's no genetically modified version of this plant um, and, you know, there's still a, a really great way for farmers to, to make a good income. You know, so many crops right now, farmers only make an income off of because the government subsidizes it. Like, let, let's be real. There's so many crops today that the just government tax breaks and, and, and subsidies to, to be competitive on a world stage and be able to offer food at, at such low prices. Uh, but hemp is, is one of those plants that has, is such a value add. Uh, you know, to, to the farmer and the consumers, there's so many ways that, that that farmer can, you know, not only make money off of the, the seeds, but he can sell the fiber or he can sell the, the resins to be put into extracts. Um, it's such a high value added crop that, you know, farmers in Canada, even before CBD 
we're earning four to six times the the income per acre than our farmers here in the states growing you know corn soy you know wheat potatoes uh so we just saw that it was a, a clear economic benefit and there was strong data because like i said canada started growing it in 98 we were looking into this in you know 2011 so there was you know all, over 10 years of data of how much uh, dollars per acre these farmers were getting and, and like i said it was close to six times the amount of the average farmer in in the United States per that same acre. Um, so it, it got us really excited to be able to say, you know, not only are we you know, going to help, you know, make you feel better, but your, the, your farmers and your communities are going to be able to make more money. The, the land around you is going to be healed because it's a regenerative crop. Um, you know, so it, again, it just went back to being a big core part of our mission is because we need to destigmatize this plant. Yeah, and um, that, Tari's point, you know, that was just on hemp alone. That was before even CBD was really becoming a major thing. Um, so once you start looking at CBD as an opportunity, and this was, you know, back in 2018, 2019, but people were making anywhere from fifty dollars to $100,000 an acre off of just CBD hemp. So, um, you know, the opportunities became immense. And it was, like Ari said, it was just exciting for us to be able to share that and, and get farmers reinvigorated to look at something different than a subsidized crop. That's oh, amazing that the people that, you know, spit that bar out were probably, you know, chugging Coca-Cola. Like it was the best thing ever for them too. I remember since the, the Olympics are on right now, I remember years ago when I was younger, they would show like commercials of athletes like running and then chugging Coca-Cola's after, which hindsight 2020 just makes me laugh. The stigma that the media can put in people's head on what's good for you and what's not. <laughs> so it's a, a ironic irony at the very least, but it sounds like there's a long ways to go, but do you feel satisfied with the progress the hemp industry's made since, you know, we'll just call it uh, 2014 since the, the farming bill was passed or like where, where you, where is your level of satisfaction of like uh, of, of accomplishing or pushing the industry forward? I would say that I'm definitely pretty satisfied and very impressed. I mean, I don't think either of us thought that the number of States that would legalize hemp, would happen this quickly. I mean, now it is definitely a vast majority of states that have hemp legalized versus the opposite. And when we started this company, you know, in 2012, that was far from the case. There was very few states with legalized hemp and having hemp programs in place. So what's happened in the last 10 years is, is very fast, I would say. Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, you know, personally, I remember 10 years ago starting to travel around the country, especially in, you know, more Southern conservative states and, you know, be going to grocery buyer meetings and, and hop into my Uber from the airport to the meeting and, and have the Uber drive me out, you know, just friendly asking, you know, oh, what, what, what are you doing here? And, oh, cool. What do you do for work? And, and have to just cry like, uh, I'm, I have a hemp foods company. And, and they would look at me and, and say, did, did you say hemp? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, hemp foods. And immediately the conversation just went to, okay, now I'm just judging you. You, you say you're from Colorado, <laughs> you're from Boulder, you have a hemp company. Like, I, I kind of think you're a degenerate now. And honestly, you know, fast forward to, you know, 10 years 
from that meeting, I, I go to those same states and I hop in those same Ubers and my conversation is 100% different. I get in that car and they ask me what do I do. I say, I have this hemp food and you know CBD company and you know their reaction is, oh, wow, I love CBD. Or, or my grandmother, my mother, she just started taking it. It has, has changed her life. You know, she's gotten off all of these medications that she was on. Um, and, and so it's honestly like 180 degrees different sometimes from, from just a 10-year you know, time frame. I love it. I love it. That must be so motivating. Where do you guys expect the industry to be in the next five years? Like, let's say five in five years, what are we going to be talking about? You think? In five years, I mean, I, I think uh, you know the legalization is going to continue to happen on the hemp side and on the cannabis side. And like Ari was mentioning, I think the cannabinoid conversation is going to continue to grow vastly we're just barely scratching the surface on what cannabinoids do for your body and how many different cannabinoids there are um so i think in five years it's just going to be such a more developed conversation where people really can start to trigger what different cannabinoids do for your body and can really have a good conversation where they can pinpoint different triggers and solutions to go with that and again i think uh, additionally on the construction side, there's going to be a lot of uh, further developments as well. Yeah, I think from a consumer products perspective, you know, especially as you know, federal legalization on, on both aspects of the cannabis plant, you know, progress, we'll, we'll see, I, I believe cannabinoids just look more like vitamins and minerals and, and antioxidants. And it will become more of a conversation of, of nutrition and less of a conversation of, of oh, I'm, I'm, I'm using this, you know, magic potion to heal me. It's like, oh, no, that's just like taking your multivitamin. Like, of course, that, that works. Or, you know, of course, like taking fish oil supplements is, is going to help you. It's, it's going to be just more like obvious and you know you'll see it more fortified and, and just general foods and beverages as just like you see you know turmeric fortified in in your juice no i think that's a good point like it, i think it'll become a section in supplements where it's like hey here's your cannabinoid section you know how they have different sections right now at the natural food stores that can almost become its own section because it has so many different things and really the key to it. And as we found, you know, all of our products are, are full spectrum. So having that entourage effect is really what makes the can the cannabinoids effective, you know, CBD on its own, it, it is effective, but it's going to be far more effective to get that whole matrix of cannabinoids in your system. So really being able to play with that uh, complex is going to be huge over time. I love it. No, I agree. I, I, I agree with everything you're saying with what I've, uh, everybody in my company takes green flower classes and learn, you know, it's learning what they are willing or have uh, data on now. And it just seems like that's the uh, natural progression. Tell us about, you mentioned it earlier, but tell us about the documentary you guys were featured in. I have not had a chance to, to watch it, but tell me about, uh, just tell me about it. Tell me, tell what it, what it, you know, tell me about the importance of it and um, what people are, are getting out of it and what you guys got out of it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it was as a, a friend of ours, Josh Hyde, who, who's the filmmaker of it. He, he kind of just cold called us, reached out to Jordan and I uh, years ago and said, you know, he's working on a documentary about the hemp industry, uh, you know, specifically in, in Colorado as it was, you know, in a big emerging market. And, you know, he wanted to kind of follow us around as, as you know, one of the main characters kind of, of, of this kind of story. Um, and like I said before, he really wanted to show the whole aspect uh, of the industry from, you know, working with the local, you know, regulators 
politicians, you know, all the way through that, what that regulation process looked like, you know, and then going to the, the farmers and, and really hearing the stories about how these farmers, you know, are, are converting their, their tomato fields and, and now are growing hemp and, you know, how these very conservative farmers were, you know, using very, you know, traditional, you know, medicines and 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 very you know western ways of treating themselves and, and because of this introduction into hemp because they thought honestly they thought oh what a good opportunity economically and then really realized like wow there there are so many aspects that beyond economic benefits of this plant for me you know holistically um so that was really exciting to kind of capture as well was was through that that farmer's lens um is so important yeah that was actually a really interesting thing you know working with farmers that are generational, you know, second, third generation farmers that all of a sudden they started taking CBD because they grow it and want to see what it does and quickly realize, you know, this is helping them a ton and they stopped taking Advil completely and, and really just are, are working with this plant and healing through it as well. Um, so the, that's a really interesting perspective to see and something that we didn't necessarily expect to see um, you know, kind of as a consequence of this. Yeah, it's a very farm focused documentary. So like what I, you know, find, uh, you know, powerful about it is it's, you know, it's, it's not all, you know, sunshines and, and, and roses. There's a lot of, you know, trials and tribulations that come with building out a new industry and, you know, building out supply chains that didn't exist. And like Jordan was mentioning, trying to create, you know, a, equipment that wasn't used previously for this type of thing and, and, and just trying to make things work. And, you know, there's a, an unfortunate story in that documentary where there's a, a part where a, a farmer, his entire crop test uh, a little too high for THC. So when we are going for industrial hemp, the, you know, legal definition on, on a federal level is 0.3% THC or less by a dry weight flour basis. So the, the, Agri local agricultural departments will come a few times a year and and randomly test fields and, and will test those flowers for THC content. And if it has, you know, 0.4% THC, it's now become a marijuana plant. It's now the drug variety of, of cannabis. And, and you are required by federal and state laws to destroy all of that. So there are farmers, you know, uh, have lost millions of dollars and their entire, you know, season of work because their, their crop just went slightly too hot, as they say in the industry, of, of too much THC in there um, and, and has to be burned and destroyed. Yeah, and that's uh, honestly uh, a relatively common problem that you'll see here in Colorado because uh, generally they're taking varieties that came from lower lands and from Canada where at those lower altitudes it, it doesn't test hot. But when you come here, it's getting, you know, more sunlight. It is higher altitude and the plant is ultimately working harder. When a cannabis plant works harder, they naturally grow more resin or more THC content. And so that's literally what's causing it here. And it, like Ari mentioned, it, farmers can lose their entire crop. And it wasn't even until I think last year that insurance companies started even allowing crop insurance for hemp it, and only a very select amount of insurance companies will allow that. So it's very risky in that regard. And especially when hail can come late in the season and destroy your entire crop. So, you know, these farmers are taking a huge risk upon themselves just to make it through the end of the season. Hey, when you guys were in college together, did you ever imagine that you would be like in, you know, understand the farming side and be involved in farming? I mean, was it even like a possibility when you're in, in college? Like what were you like in college? Cause I, now you know so much about this topic and you're kind of subject matter experts, but I'm just kind of wondering like, did, I mean, what was it like, uh, you know, did you ever imagine this? 
no, I mean, definitely not in, in you know, in any kind of uh, the food industry capacity of, of agriculture. Um, you know, that that was got, but it's one of those things in life that you, you don't really predict it. But then once you start doing it, you're like, oh, this makes so much sense. Like this is combining so many of our passions. Like Jordan and I were, we're very passionate about food. I mean, we've both been very passionate about nutrition. Both were very passionate about cannabis so you know we didn't see them as one thing at the same time but you know once my mom for example connected those dots for us it was it was very obvious that we could see what we were doing yeah once you get really into either the hemp space or the natural food space you see that they're kind of one and the same it's very holistic and it's about self-healing and both sides of the industry, whether it's cannabis or food, focus on that. And so, like Ari mentioned, we didn't necessarily realize how much they overlapped and how much they intertwined with our own uh, personalities. But once we started doing it, it was like, wow, of course we're doing this, you know? So it made a lot of sense as we continued. What has been, uh, yeah, you've mentioned some of this. So, but what is, what do you, what do you pinpoint as your biggest opportunity to date? Hmm. That sounds like you've had lots of them, but is there any one that sticks out that was like, oh shit, we're getting things rolling? Wow. So, you know, what we decided to do years ago, and this was kind of, you know, early in the industry, um, I, you know, saw on both the THC side and CBD side of the industry, people were, you know, encapsulating these cannabinoids in in various materials to make them more water dispersible, or as some people want to say, soluble. Um, So you could put them in things like beverages. And so that part of the industry always really excited me and and still does this day. It was where I see still the most opportunity is, you know, as far as a product development standpoint in in cannabis, it's so rudimentary, you know, using tinctures and oils of been around for thousands of years. And so, you know, modern technology and science allows us to figure out ways that we can manipulate these, you know, molecules and things, whether it's encapsulate them to, you know, make them more discernible or make it so it, you know, is more bioavailable for, for your body. Um, and so we partnered up with some friends of ours to kind of develop some, some technologies to encapsulate these cannabinoids, you know, using all natural organic ingredients like sunflower lecithin. And, and you know, a lot of the industry at the time were, were using you know, synthetic, you know, polymers, polysorbate number, blah, blah, blahs. And, and I just, you know, like Jordan was saying, coming from a natural foods world, like those are not part of our vocabulary. So we, you know, we're really pushing on how can we figure out, you know, what are these, are there's essentially emulsifiers and surfactants and then what are the natural emulsifiers and surfactants that come from plants that, you know, doesn't come from, uh, you know, an oil-based substance. Uh, and so we were able to do so super successful, built some really great pieces of, you know, IP with these guys. And then we started, you know, working with other uh, food and beverage companies uh, to kind of be like the, the powered by Evo hemp. So, you know, using our, our CBD extracts that, you know, using our encapsulation technologies in their products. Um, we now offer uh, a, a powdered version of that uh, on our own website right now at evohemp.com. Um, but we're excited to be able to kind of take some of those encapsulation technologies and expand those across various other cannabinoids and, 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 you know, incorporating those into, you know, other, other supplements as well. Yeah. And I would say, you know, in addition to that, so that was definitely kind of our biggest thing as far as being able to grow our business with other businesses, which was really awesome because it was starting to capture their interest of like, Oh, we can use hemp and CBD and other things and that we can infuse it into our products. Like, 
that was really cool and gave us opportunities to work with probably about a half a dozen country uh, companies across the country um, so far, uh, which is really fun. But I would say, you know, the biggest thing for us uh, product wise um, that helped really break us out to the masses would be our protein bars. Having that cookie dough bar on the market really was a big change for us. You know, we started with the, the, um, fruit and nut bars and they were great. They were very healthy. Um, but, and raw was big at the time, but the thing was, um, especially trying to introduce something like hemp, which as we were mentioning earlier, people are a little hesitant and scared to do. You got to leave with flavor. You got to make something that tastes conventional, that meets a conventional flavor profile, even if you want to make it as natural as humanly possible. And us coming out with that cookie dough bar really did it. I mean, got us a ton of popularity and still to this day, like whole foods was try, they've tried other hemp bars and they're like, it doesn't taste like Evo hemp cookie dough bar. I don't want it in my store. So, I mean, it's kind of become like the standard in flavor profile for hemp foods. And I think we're really proud about that. How much protein are in those bars? This is what a selfish question I'm asking right in the middle of the show, but how much hemp is, or uh, protein are in those uh, bars? Uh, 12 grams. 12 grams. Okay. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to get some of those. Hey, what do you guys, uh, what do you guys do outside of work to keep your life balanced? I mean, you're, uh, you guys are like Jack of all trades together. It sounds like you, you know, you're willing to do whatever, you know, work however hard you need to, but what do you, uh, what do you do to keep your life balanced? Uh, just outside of work? What are you guys into? Uh, starting other businesses. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, That's like, you know, uh, business is our passion. Business is our sport. So we, you know, we love, we love everything, you know, in, involved with it. So we have, uh, you know, on, uh, we have a cosmetics company that, that we're starting, uh, on the side of a, a male cosmetics, color cosmetics company that we're really excited about uh, called Athos to be launching, uh, this winter. Um, we also, you know, do a lot of consulting for, for other brands and businesses because, you know, you, you get deep in the weeds in your own business, but then it's fun to like pop out and like go help out, you know, figure out, you know, help solve some problems in someone else's company um, and get out of your own space. Honestly, that's like one of my favorite things to do. So we, we consult with a handful of businesses uh, getting into the, the consumer product space um, and, and really love doing that. And, you know, when, when I'm not working and working, I, uh, you know, enjoy hiking and running with the dogs. Yeah, I would say similar to that, you know, hiking, yoga, hanging out with the dogs and um, like I said, uh, starting other businesses. So Athos and the consulting is kind of our two biggest things. Athos 3 is going to be coming out, uh, you know, this winter, like he mentioned, and Brand Collectives has been a really fun opportunity for us. And it's really allowed us to work with some of the biggest companies, uh, Fortune 500s across the country, as well as some of the biggest stars in, in the country as well, in order to help develop and make products with them from finding sourcing all the way through manufacturing. And so, like Ari said, it's nice to step out of our own business and, and kind of get into the weeds for other people and, and help uh, find solutions for them. Love it. Hey, do you guys feel like you found your purpose with your business? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it comes through. I just, it's maybe a redundant question, but I think a lot of people, they listen to this. We're the first purpose-based leadership search from the planet. So they're always, we have people that, uh, you know, just are, are great leaders that are really into what they're doing. And you guys fit that profile. Uh, what are some, uh, like the at least the last probably six months or longer, anytime I've had a guest, what are some COVID-19 blessings? Like there's always, you know, there's, it made it a pain in the ass for a lot of things, but 
what are some like positive things that came about your guys's life through COVID-19 and maybe it even helped your business in some shape or form. I don't know, but what are some, been some COVID-19 blessings? I think the biggest thing for us is it really highlighted the pain points that we had internally in the company and allowed us to focus on what's going to make us successful long-term uh, without investors and without having to, to look for outside funding. And so, you know, it's forced us to be a little bit more scrappy, but also more successful. Yeah. I think, you know, with most, uh, you know, consumer products, the kind of brick and mortar retail world, uh, you know, kind of that whole evolution that was happening between online retailers and offline retailers was really just sped up. And, and so we saw, I think, what was going to be inevitable from a, a larger shift to, to online sales. And that, that just obviously got increased significantly, maybe by a few years or, yeah. or more um, be, because of COVID and, and, and people wanting to you know, stay inside, obviously. Um, so our focus and our shift onto, you know, really being a, a really strong direct-to-consumer brand and, and really not relying so heavily on our distribution and retail partners and, and really focusing on building that kind of more one-on-one -on -one relationship with our customers that direct-to-consumer offers. Yeah, I think Ari hit the nail on the head with the, how it accelerated it. You know, our three-year plan became a one-year plan quite quickly as far as, you know, growing the online business and transitioning to... to a very direct-to-consumer type of model, but um, it allows us to be a lot more closer with our customers, touch them a lot easier, and you know, really build that relationship directly. Awesome. Hey, well, I'm going to start moving in, start wrapping up a bit, but I always end with rapid-fire questions. There's two of you, so you're going to both have to answer these questions. So they're short answers, whatever first comes to mind, uh, just shoot it off. But the first one is, uh, what's the first thing you do when you wake up? Uh, meditate. Yep. Uh, what book have you read more than once or what's your favorite book? Oh man. Think and grow rich. Napoleon Hill. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's your favorite band? I mean, all, all in all favorite artists I'd have to say is Bob Marley. Biggest impact. That's a good one. Makes sense. Ooh. Favorite. That's a hard one. I'm just gonna go with my first favorite artist that I ever had, which was Talib Kweli. Nice. Uh, what person has had the greatest impact on your life? You know, I'm I'm a big fan of the uh, advertising uh, giant Gary Vaynerchuk. Been been a big impact. Um. Honestly, probably my grandma. Okay. What, uh, what's something you're waiting to check off your bucket list? Never been to Asia. Yep. Uh, international travel for sure. I have not been to Asia or Australia. Nice. What's the most spontaneous thing you've ever done lately? Random. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I agree with that. <laughs> Actually, it cut out right when you said that. Would say that again. What's the most spontaneous thing you've ever done lately? Oh, oh, uh, it spontaneously started a, a men's color cosmetics business. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is good. And then, uh, if you could change one thing about the world right now, what would it be? 
cannabis legalization. You're, you're taking all the easy answers, leaving Jordan the harder one. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm faster. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I was going to say uh, um, just uh, pollution worldwide, helping tackle that. Nice. Well, you're listening to the Built on Purpose podcast with Max Hansen, brought to you by Wise Scouts. You can listen to all of our past and future podcasts at wisescouts.com. Ari and Jordan, you get the last word. What advice would you give our audience to help them excel in both their personal and professional life? When you get up, just or when, when you fall down, just get back up. Even if you don't have a direction to go, just, you know, uh, and, and, and start with whatever makes you feel good. Like, Stay constantly consistent. Love it. Well, thanks, guys. You guys were amazing. I appreciate your time. And uh, I'll keep supporting Evo because I love the product. So I'm going to keep buying them. So I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to the Built on Purpose podcast, where on each episode, we interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. You can hear any of our previous shows 24-7 right here on Star Worldwide Networks or wherever you get your podcasts.